Hi there, we really hope you enjoy this teaching from the message. To find out more about all the exciting things we're doing and how you can get involved, check out our website, message.org.uk. Wherever you're tuning in from, uh, it's so good to have you with us this morning, especially as uh, I'm jumping into a new series today. It's always fun to start something new. We're going to be spending the next four of the teaching sessions that I do over the coming couple of months uh, digging into the book of Jonah. And Jonah's a fascinating story, really, because it's one that we all know so well uh, from, from Sunday school when we were a kid. And it's even one that, that people who have not really engaged um, with Christianity, not been to church, not really read the Bible, have, have a familiarity with the concept of this guy getting swallowed by a fish. People don't necessarily know why that happened or, or quite how it happened, but they have this concept of a guy, yeah, in the Bible there's a guy that gets eaten by a fish, doesn't he, and he's in, the, in there for a few days, and it's all, it's all very Pinocchio, uh, same thing happens in that kind of story. And then we kind of conflate the imagery of Jonah with the end of Disney's Pinocchio, and we're not quite sure which one is which. But for those of us that are familiar with the story, we, we can kind of remember it in certain ways that sometimes gloss over some of the important details that are tucked away in the text to teach us some really important things about just what God wants to do in getting our attention for his purpose and his glory. That's why today's talk is called Dodging the Draft, A Tale of Two Storms. We're going to look at Jonah in this first chapter, literally dodging the draft, the call, the conscription, if you will. I have very negative connotations with the idea of conscription. But here, God is is uh, conscripting Jonah into his service. And Jonah's like, no, thank you very much. And the story plays out from there. But he's not the only prophet conscripted into the service of God that finds himself in a crazy storm where life is threatened and a change needs to come. We'll get to that very soon. But first of all, have you ever tried to get out of something that you were supposed to do, but you really didn't want to? For me, it tends to be, well, there's quite a few things that I tried to get out of that I don't really want to do, to be honest. But for me, it tends to be in the area of uh, home improvements. If uh, I have to do any form of home improvement, I will put it off for as long as humanly possible. Uh, In fact, there's four ways, really, that we try to get out of doing the things that we're supposed to do, but we don't really want to do. The first thing is remonstration. We argue against it. Does it really matter if the roof leaks? Does it really matter? I mean, that's what umbrellas are for. Just crack up an umbrella. I don't need to get up on the roof. I don't need to get inside and patch it up. No, it's fine. We can can get around this. It's not such a big deal. Remonstration, we argue, and we try to... um, come up with a reason not to do it. There's procrastination. I'll do it later. To be honest, I don't even have the right hammer. I don't even have the right screwdriver. You see, this is why I don't fix the roof, because I don't even know what you need to fix the roof. I don't have the right electrical tape to paper over the whole whatever it might be. We, we procrastinate. No, I, I come up with a reason why I can't do it right. I'll get to it eventually, but not right now. Plus, I've got some emails to send, and I've got other things uh, I need to do. There's delegation. You know what? I'll task it to somebody else. Look, If you want it done, you want it done properly. Let me get the professional to come in. Now, actually, to be fair, when it comes to fixing the roof, that's that's probably not a bad idea to get the professional in. But actually, in many areas of our lives, we start assuming that all of these things can have a more skilled person to come in and have a go and do it for us instead. So we try to delegate out. And finally, there's repudiation, which is just flat out refusal. No, no, not going to do that. 
often not even with a reason, just simply no. Remonstration, procrastination, delegation, repudiation. There are also, of course, simpler words that we could use to say these same things, but they don't rhyme and it's not quite as much fun in a talk. So we do all sorts of things to get out of doing what we don't want to do. Uh, we will fake illness. We will fake uh, or, or, or injury. We will uh, fake unavailability. Oh, I'm not available that day. I can't do it. We will play down our skill set. We'll play up someone else's skill set. We'll, we'll tinker around in all sorts of methodology to get out of doing that thing that we don't actually want to do. Yeah, Premier League footballer, Tottenham player and South Korean star Sung uh, Min Son uh, was uh, supposed to do his um, national service, his conscription into uh, the South Korean uh, military uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, but obviously that would have played havoc with his Premier League career. I'm not exactly sure how long it's supposed to be for, but I think it might even be a couple of years uh, that you have to do it for, certainly a few months at the very least. Uh, and uh, so that's going to play havoc if you're a Premier League footballer with your potential you know, routine and fitness and, and all of that stuff. So clearly not super keen to uh, head back to his homeland and, uh, and get involved. No, I'm sure not anything to do with patriotism or anything like that. Just simply that he's got a very particular way of living currently. And for that to get changed in messing his life up with a different routine is, is a bit of a problem. So actually... What it came down to a couple years ago was they were playing in the Asian Games, the South Korean national team, and if they had won this, the Asian Games, it would have meant that he could have avoided conscription because there was some rule that with professional athletes, if they achieve a certain level of achievement, it kind of negates their need to do their national service, something I think the government brought in to kind of try and help with some of these challenges. And um, so, sure enough, the Games come and there's a lot of pressure on here. And what happens? Amazingly, South Korea, they win the Asian Games. And Son uh, doesn't have to go and get involved in his national service. Although, actually, there was a bit of an outcry in the end in his uh, local, uh, in his nation. Uh, there was a bit of an outcry over the fact that some of these athletes weren't doing it. And sure enough, he did actually, I think this past summer, end up going and doing a few weeks of, uh, of kind of service, almost as a symbolic thing to say, no, I am going to play my part, but hopefully we're going to try and kind of keep it in. Even when we aren't playing our part, we can still try to keep it within the bounds of what is acceptable and okay for the comfort of our lives. Well, in the story of Jonah, he doesn't mess about with any of that. He doesn't mess about with faking illness. He doesn't mess about with procrastination. He doesn't even argue with God about it. He doesn't try and task it to somebody else. He doesn't uh, play down his skill set. He doesn't try to find somebody else, a better professional to do it. He, uh, he doesn't look for a legal loophole by winning a tournament that will let him get out of his service. Nope, he doesn't do any of that. When God calls Jonah, he simply runs in the opposite direction to which he has been called. If it wasn't so tragic, it would be comical. Let's read together from Jonah chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Actually, there's probably a word missing, uh, possibly from your English translation there, which it should say, Arise, arise, and go to the great city of Nineveh. The, the Hebrew text is very clear about this, and it's actually a word that, that repeats a number of times through the book of Jonah. Arise, 
In other words, this is your moment to, to, to stand for something. This is your moment to, to come to life. This is your moment for, for service. It's not just a, a moment to go. It's a moment to be sparked into action and life and purpose. Arise, wake up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Wow, that sounds severe. In other words, they need to hear repentance because its wickedness has come up before me, and the Assyrians were indeed a pretty brutal and savage people at this point in history. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish, literally the other direction to that which he's been called. He went down to Joppa, where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You've really got to not want to do something to think that you can run away from the ever and all present. God and creator of the universe, to think that somehow you could find a geographical location that would excuse you from God's presence. Of course, I think Jonah knows full well that he can't actually run away from God. I think he just thinks at this stage, if I can put as much distance between me and the place of calling that God has put me, if I can get as much, I might not be able to get away from God, but if I can get as much distance from me and the place of calling as possible, then that's the next best thing, because I don't want to do this. He neglects and dodges his duty. Now, conscription is, is rare in this country. In the 20th century, we saw it inevitably during the First uh, and Second World War. Actually, conscription lasted from it in the second time, from 1939 all the way through to 1960. Why so long after the war? Well, it was because there are other conflicts and things going on, and essentially the government was hedging its bets, just making sure that they didn't bring national service to an end too soon, just in case we were needed. But the truth is, there are many, many, many people in our society who would willingly and do willingly jump into national service even without being conscripted. My grandfather fought in the Second World War, uh, and yet he wasn't actually drafted in. He wasn't conscripted in. He signed up willingly. He told me the story of the day that he actually went up and signed to the armed forces. He was with a couple of friends of his, or, or, or one friend at least, and um, actually, I think it was his brother, in fact. And they were uh, just hanging out. And another friend of theirs walked by and said, oh, I've, you know, I've just been down to the sign-up office. And uh, I've, I've signed up to national service. And my granddad and either his friend or his brother, I forget exactly who he was with, uh, they kind of stopped and thought for a moment. And they were like, yeah, that, of course you have. That's a, that's a great thing to do. We should do the same thing. And there and then on that day, with not much thought beyond that, of yeah, we should do the same thing, they went and signed up. And so that saw my granddad disappear from the UK for three years as he went to serve in the RAF in, in India. In fact, get married to my grandmother on Christmas Eve and then have Christmas Day together, and then on Boxing Day, ship out to India and not return back to the UK uh, for, for about three years or so. That's the level of willingness to sign up for the bigger purpose, to actually say, no, I'm going to go. I don't even need the government to tell me that I have to go. I'm going to go because I think this is the right thing to do. I want to go and actually try and be a, a peacemaker into the world. And in fact, there were many people, this is tragic, actually. There were many people during uh, the wartime era in the Second World War who, for whatever reason, couldn't sign up to the army and they were, didn't have the right health conditions. Uh, they, they were lacking in some way in their ability to discharge the duties of the call-up and therefore, even though they wanted to, they couldn't. And, and tragically, there were even people that, that, get, that committed suicide because they felt so much shame at not being able to serve the bigger picture. 
And what we have here is jo in Jonah is it, we couldn't be further away from that concept. Jonah has no shame whatsoever about running away from the call of God to be a peacemaker, to go and bring a message that says, look, people of Nineveh, Assyrian people, you are wicked and you are evil and you are the, one of the most savage, brutal people on the planet and God is very angry with you. But if you turn from your wickedness, God will have mercy upon you. God will bring peace that will win out over your chaos. The problem is Jonah doesn't see this as an honor. He doesn't see this as something that is to be readily run into. He doesn't see running away from it as being shameful. No, he sees it as being the thing that he wants to do. Why? Is it because he's afraid of these evil, terrible Assyrians? It's possible they were a particularly savage people. But actually, I think the text reveals to us something far more problematic going on in Jonah's heart than simply fear of his fellow man. What it actually shows that's going on in Jonah's heart, as we see later on in the text, is, God, if I go there, that people will repent. And he says later on in, in, in chapter 4, we'll get there eventually, but he says, you know, God, this is what I said was going to happen. I knew that if I preached this message that they would repent. And essentially, they are not worthy of this. They are not deserving of your grace. What we have going on here in Jonah is not the fear of his fellow man. It is contempt for his fellow man. The feeling that someone is worthless or beneath consideration. Jonah wasn't afraid for his safety. He was afraid that they would repent and receive the Lord's mercy, and he simply didn't think they were deserving of it. I have a question for you this morning, and it's this. Will you search your heart today and ask this question, what is holding you back from answering the call of God? Search your heart. What is it that's actually holding you back? Because it's very possible that there's all sorts of things that you've put forward as being the reason for you to remonstrate, for you to procrastinate, for you to try and delegate, or, delegate or, or actually ultimately to just repudiate, to just say no. There might be all sorts of reasons that seem valid and actually seem almost honorable, almost the honorable thing to do. But I want to ask you this morning if perhaps is it possible for some at least that part of the reason that you're failing to serve God is simply contempt, contempt for God himself, Contempt for the value of your own life and the things that God wants to do in and through it. Contempt for those in the world that actually so desperately need to hear the peace of God and receive it powerfully through his messengers. If you're already serving, are you actively protecting yourself from contempt creeping in? There have been many times in my life, I'm ashamed to say in many ways, to I've gone to serve and minister and over the years and in some way, shape, or form, a little bit of contempt has crept in. They're not listening to me in the way that they should. They're asking me a question that's too difficult to answer. They're not being as appreciative of my ministry enough as they should be. We, we they them, we they them, we they them, and, and we, we other them, but in the unhealthy way. Actually, God's way of othering people is to reconcile, is to bring them back to himself. Our way of othering people is to further push them away. Contempt will always leave people as the other, them without God instead of God with us. Is contempt creeping in? A lot of the time we can dress up contempt as something less offensive, such as simple fear of man. And don't get me wrong, fear of man is a real thing, and God can help you with that, and he's delighted to help you with that, to encourage you by his Holy Spirit, to encourage you in Christian community. 
Um, but the truth is actually that when some of these things grip us, that they are a symptom of actually a bigger problem. And it, and it might sound like a hard word, and it might seem harsh for me to say it, but I think it's so important sometimes that we actually get sober with ourselves and drill down into what's really going on and recognize that we are very frail as humans. We are very problematic as humans. We are very fleshy. We are very influenced by the, by the world. We do let the devil get in our ear at times, and contempt rises up within us, and our hearts get hardened again where God has made them fleshy. And then we come up with all sorts of reasons why we're not serving, but the crux of the matter is it's contempt that sits at the center. They are not worth my discomfort. They are not worth me risking my safety for. They are not worth what it would cost me personally, physically, or otherwise. If we don't go into the world with the antidote to sin when we have it, what else can we call it but contempt for the world? I know it feels hard, but it is important that we are sober so that we can get to the heart of the issue in our own hearts and put it Right. That's the joy here. Not that we get trapped in a hard word that makes us think, oh, no, I'm terrible. It's like, no, God is good. That's what we hinge on to. And God is delighted to call you, arise. And if you've been running away, well, we'll turn around. That's the very message that you're going to take into the world is repentance. Turn around. You're running the wrong way. But if you as the messenger yourself are running the wrong way, well, we need to deal with that first of all, and it's a hard word, but it's a joyful word, and it leads to joy. And plus, look on the bright side. It's certainly not as an extreme a way of getting your attention and giving you a perspective slap as being swallowed whole by a fish. So it could always be worse. Um, but we're getting ahead of ourselves. Before the fish comes the storm, the Lord wants Jonah's attention, and so he sends a storm. Uh, verse 4. The Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened... Actually, the Hebrew uh, word there is determined. It personifies the ship, that God has actually set the ship against Jonah. He's so desperate to get Jonah's attention that even the things of this world, created things, nature, there is nothing outside the realm of God that cannot be turned to his purpose to correct us, to turn us, to get our attention. The ship determined to break up. All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God and they threw the cargo in the sea to lighten the ship. It's inevitable that when things are going wrong, we look to try and fix the problem any way that we can, but no amount of fixing the problem will do until we get to the heart of the matter. And Jonah is the heart of the matter in this situation. His heart has gone wrong. And the sailors don't know this, but Jonah has gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. Doesn't sound like a man who's full of shame over what he's done. It sounds like a man who actually is relatively content with the decision. It's uh, amazing, really, how we can convince ourselves that our course of action is okay and even feel peaceful about it. I want to encourage you this morning, if ever you've heard the kind of idea that it, the way that we make a decision about what God wants us to do is pray about it, and if we have a peace about it, then that kind of leads us in the right direction, and I might be very careful with that one. In my life, I've had peace about things that are definitely not the right things to do. Peace can be a strange emotion to qualify, a strange state of mind to qualify when we're trying to think about it being our course corrector for what we should do. We can actually convince ourselves that we feel quite peaceful about a decision that is anything other than the will of God. Are we actually looking beyond our own emotional state of, no, I'm, I'm quite peaceful about this, I can have a nice rest. Are we looking around us to what's going on? You might feel that you're at peace, but look at the storm around you. God is trying to get your attention. 
The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. Fast forward a couple of verses after they've cast lots to see who is responsible for this. The lot falls upon Jonah. And they say to him, who are you? Why is this happening? And in verse 9, Jonah answers, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea, the very sea that we're on that's going crazy right now, and the dry land. He knows who God is. He knows exactly who God is, and yet he is trying to flee him? Silly, silly boy. That never leads to anything good. This terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? Now, these sailors, they they don't know Yahweh. They don't know the God of Israel, but they have the right response to him, which is, what you've done? What against who? Are you crazy? The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to you? Uh, you to make the sea calm down for us. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault and this great storm has come upon you. You see how entrenched in his running away he is? He doesn't go, oh, what I need to do is I need to repent. That The same message that God's given me for Nineveh, I need to now preach that message myself, live out that message. I'm going to get on my knees. Maybe has anyone got got something I can use as a sacrifice, you know, right here, and I can offer something to the Lord and I'll I'll give repentance and and maybe the Lord will come to me. Nope. None of that. He's like, no, I really don't want to do this. I think I'd rather face death than actually have to do what I'm supposed to do. Even now, he can't bring himself to let God's grace prevail. Never be surprised by the level to which human hearts can be hardened, even against their own best interests. We are a complicated species. Thankfully, God can transcend our complication and bring peace to even that ridiculousness. The sailors try to avoid it, but ultimately they have no choice. And in verse 15, they took Jonah and threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. At this, the men greatly feared the Lord, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. This is something remarkable has happened here. Jonah has run away from delivering his message of repentance. But in doing so, God's like, well, I'm going to sort that out. I'm going to deal with that. I'm going to get Jonah's attention, and we're actually going to turn this situation to good. But one of the ways that we're going to do it is there's going to be collateral damage, but in the positive sense collateral gospel damage, because these very sailors that Jonah interacted with end up discovering who Jesus is. More, well, by, by proxy of God, they discover who God is, and they're like, well, I think we need to worship this God, a God that they didn't previously know. God is even gracious enough to use Jonah's rebellion to save others. <laughs> is God getting your attention? It's my very Andy Hawthorne impression of a klaxon. Now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Look, funnily enough, this story reminds me of another boat caught in another storm with another crew freaking out while another prophet sleeps on board. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all tell us the story of Jesus in the storm with his disciples. Only this is not a prophet who is running away from God to avoid his mission. This is not a prophet who is looking to dwell in contempt, to pursue and prioritize safety. No, this is God himself. Jesus in the boat stepped into the mission of God, rejecting contempt for perfect love, rejecting safety for certain death upon the cross that the world would know the safety of true life in the resurrection of Christ. In Jonah's story, Jonah is powerless to bring peace to the storm, powerless to avoid the fate of being thrown overboard to his death by his own decision-making. He has run away from God, and that always ends tragically in the same way. Death! Jonah in this story is the reason for the chaos, and the end is inevitable. But Jesus, rather than rising to confirm as Jonah did, 
that he is the reason for the storm. When the disciples come and ask him what's going on, he steps to the front of the boat and becomes the reason, not for the storm, but the reason for peace. With a word, he calms the chaos. Be calm, and nature obeys him. He then looks at his disciples and he asks them a simple question, where is your faith? Why are you afraid? The same question that God asks us when he calls us to be the ones who share his perfect, powerful peace with the world. Why are you afraid? Why are you afraid of serving me? Why are you afraid of following the call that I have on your life? Where is your faith? We sometimes hear that as a rebuke. We hear it in the story of Jesus to his disciples. You idiots! Why are you afraid? Where's your faith? I don't think that's what's going on. I think it's best heard as a reassurance. Come on, guys. Why are you afraid? Don't you know that I am with you? There's two types of people in this world, people that ride dodgems as dodgems, like they're going for a nice country drive and they try to avoid everybody that they hit. And there's people that ride dodgems as bumper cars, which is how they should be ridden, bumping into everybody. We had some bumper cars here at our message Christmas party just over a year ago. And you learn a lot about a person and how they ride a bumper car. You also see some little grudges that are being played out on the field as people try to wreck each other in dodgems as well. But I think it's healthy for dealing with some of those issues in, in bumper cars. But how you ride the, the dodgem or the bumper car of God's service will, will tell you a lot. You're going to ride it as a dodgem, just trying to avoid everything that God sends your way. Just, oh, let's try and keep it all nice and relaxed and smooth. Or are you going to get in and get stuck in and have some fun and bump around? And sure, you get jolted a bit. And sure, it can be a bit, oh, it's a bit scary. That one was a bit of a, a rough bang. But you know what? That's ultimately the fun way to do it. And it's the best way to do it. And it's the way that gets you in and gets you going and gets you serving the purpose. We're about to go into Manchester festival season here in Manchester and Greater Manchester, where we're going to try and impact tens of thousands, 100,000 people across the city. How are you going to ride that season? Are you going to ride that season as a dodgem? Are you going to ride that season as a bumper car, getting stuck in to what God wants you to do? Jonah turns his back on God's call to bring hope to the world, but Jesus runs headfirst into the chaos so that his peace can reign supreme. How are we going to respond? I suggest that we respond by arising just as God calls us to. God wants us to go into the world and get people's attention. Jonah ignored the call. He ignored all the signs, all the things that God was, was giving him. And so God used a storm to get his attention, but it, it, it just for Jonah, was, his heart was too hard. My question to you is, will you let your heart be soft to, to God, to the world? And my question is this, how might God be trying to get your attention in this season? Look around you. How might God be trying to get your attention in this season to call you, to correct you, to realign you? And as he gets our attention, will we remonstrate with him? Really, Lord? Really? Is this really necessary? Do we really need to do this? Are things going okay? Can, I, you know, can we just do something else instead? Procrastinate. Absolutely, Lord. Absolutely, I will get there one day. Just bear with me. I've got some other things I need to do, but I will definitely get there eventually. Delegate. Lord, surely someone else would be better for this than me. Come on. I'm not the most qualified person. You find a really skilled person. If you want it done right, Lord, I'm not your guy. You need to go find someone else or repudiation. Lord, no. Or will we answer him by saying simply, here I am, Lord. I'm weak, but you are strong. I'm afraid, but in you I trust. I'm convinced you could find someone better, but fair enough, I'm available. Thank you that you forgive me my contempt for you and my contempt for others and replace it with love for you 
and love for others. Thank you that in that love and in that empowerment, I can see the signs around me of how you're calling me and what you want me to do, and I can act accordingly. Help me to search my own heart. Help me to be like Jesus. In the tale of two storms, there is a man who runs away from God to dodge his call, and in running from the author of life is only left with death. But then there's a man who runs into God's call headfirst, from the glory of heaven into the mess of the world and brings peace to the chaos, life and life eternal. Jesus is with us, and out of his perfect example and perfect empowering, he says, stop running away, arise, and take that very same message into the world. I love you. Amen. Father, help us to go for your glory. We are sorry for when we, we put it off and we, we come up with reasons why not. And, and sometimes those feel like great reasons. And, and Lord, we don't want to be casting a, a word of judgment out on people today and, and making people feel small or, or, or shaming people into service. You have no interest in doing that. You simply want to wake us up. You simply want to get our attention and say, you know you're going the wrong way here. You know, if you want to be in the sweet spot of my call, you need to arise and trust me to empower, to equip, and to send you for my glory. Lord, will we live this life not as dodging drivers, always trying to get out the way, trying to keep it smooth and easy, but getting involved in the fun of the bumper cars. Lord, would we serve you in word and deed, in whatever capacity, in whatever area, in whatever role, in whatever way that you call us to. And would it be done knowing that you love us, that your grace is remarkable, sufficient, powerful, all-encompassing. And it's the grace that we dwell in so that we don't live in shame. And it's the grace that we carry so that the world, by the power of the cross, can be set free from their shame and brought into life. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for tuning in today. One great way to get yourself started in 2021 with thinking through some of these things more fully and how you can serve and follow the call of God on your life is to get connected to an advanced group. And Global Advance Day on the 30th of January is going to see hundreds of advanced groups launch all around the world. You can find out more at advancedgroups.org where you can download the material, think about starting your own group, get in touch with us if you want to join a group that already exists. We'll get you connected, we'll get you hooked up and I I'm guarantee you, if you want to find out more about what it means to take the gospel into the world, whether you think you're an evangelist or you're just somebody who's passionate about seeing the lost get impacted by the hope of God, Advance can help you and uh, a week on Saturday is going to be the perfect time to get going at the start of this year. So advancedgroups.org, check it out, Global Advance Day. Hope to see many of you join us on the journey. God bless you. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll be back next week. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and do all of that fun stuff. Take care. Don't forget to check out message.org.uk to find out how you can support our work or even get involved with one of our teams. We also have another podcast called The Flow Podcast, where we share stories and testimonies of the amazing things that God's doing in people's lives. Search for The Flow Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.